A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Well, I think it's about time to crack a heaps normal. You would crack a heaps normal any hour of the day. <laughs> and sometimes I do. Actually, <laughs> when, I, when I was down in winter in Victoria, I surfed at that wave pool at Tullamarine. It was so freezing. The car was freezing and I got back in and there was a heaps normal laying there. <laughs> it was really early in the morning. But I'd had a surf and I thought, wow, it's non-alcoholic. And drove off. <laughs> Feeling quite proud of myself uh, was awesome. But, uh, you know, really, I have really loved getting back into beer because I really do like beer and I stopped drinking it because I stopped drinking alcohol and I wasn't really very enthused in the whole non-alcoholic beer thing. And getting into Heaps Normal, um, it tastes so good. And it reminded me of the times that I do like to have a beer, even though I don't like to drink alcohol. That's been awesome mm. because the world of beer is a cool cool world but the world of being a pisshead is boring and embarrassing mm. um so. <laughs> yeah it's true yeah i like how you can you can still do the things you used to do you know when you were having a beer like mm. you know after a surf or particularly like it after you've been in the garden mowing or at a mm. gig mm. so you can that still do all reward. those things yeah yeah but you're not getting smashed yeah, because a lot of us have that perception, you know, oh, you know, and you think, okay, I can't do that thing. And I miss a beer at this time or that time. And you just think, like when I quit, I thought, okay, all those habits have to change. And actually now it's a bit different to that because the habit of rewarding yourself with something with a beer doesn't have to change. It's just the mm. alcohol that's in it. Mm. That has to change. And I can understand if somebody feels like that's a trigger for them, that they might not want to do that. And that's how I felt about it when I first quit. Now something changed in my mind where I just realized it was kind of an epiphany. No, beer's beer. You know, like they have 
decaffeinated coffee for people who want to really enjoy a coffee, but they don't want the caffeine and it's real coffee. Mm. You make it with a plunger. That's a good point. Only the taste buds mm. can really work that out because the <laughs> you just think a beer has alcohol. It has to be you know an alcoholic beer. I mean, it does have a minute amount of alcohol in heaps normal, but classified as a non-alcoholic beer. I just love it. And it's actually beers come back into my life and it's been cool to just enjoy those times that you can have one. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you can do that and still enjoy that and not, not be sloppy. Yeah, and it's it's never made me, it's never, ever made me think, all oh, right, now it's time to just start drinking alcoholic beers and become a pisshead. It has never crossed my mind. Like I say, that might be different for some people. Everybody has to think about how that works for them. But for me, they're fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. They've given us a code for our community. So if mm. if anyone would like to take advantage of that, free shipping, all you need to do is go over to heapsnormal.com, put in the code in uppercase, H-I-Q-A, for How I Quit Alcohol, and receive free shipping on your order. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're a beer drinker and you want to try one, I highly recommend the Heaps Normal. It's my favourite. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Christy Hughes all the way from Texas. How are you, Christy? I'm great. I feel like I should say howdy. Howdy, y'all from Texas. (laughs) (laughs) It's so awesome to have you on. You're my first international guest, actually, which is which is really cool. So I think so too. I'm so excited. Yeah, welcome. So Christy is the author of a new book that's out, Strong Roots Wayward Soul, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Your journey with alcohol and then of course how you ended up writing the book. But yeah, just where did your where did your journey start with alcohol? Sure. I was, I think it was about 15. The first time I got drunk, my parents would have friends over on the weekends. I remember having little sips of beer or wine and nothing dangerous or anything like that. But when I was 15, I was with my brother at a concert and I I probably had one wine cooler or anything that, you know, when you're in your first uh, alcohol experience, it doesn't take much. And, but at that point in my life, I was really struggling with mental health and self-esteem and Mm all the things that I guess come along with adolescence in some ways. And I think looking forward now, I know that there's a lot of things around my mental health that I I do try to keep in check, even as an adult. But back then, I just really didn't know um, any different. And I just was very, very insecure. Mm-hmm. So when I was 15 and had this tried alcohol, it was, oh, wow, you're being at this concert and feeling free and uninhibited. And it felt nice. From there, it was also then high school friends and kind of the the friends I was falling into. We became very reliant on alcohol when we were out. And it's not like you can have really steady access to it, I guess, at 15, but we'd stand outside the convenience store and send money in with an adult and would they buy it for us or older brothers or older sisters of, of my friends. And so we would try to get it as often as we could. And I was never a normal drinker. I remember getting really sick one time in my room, like sneaking you know, through the house, 
um, I'm sure my parents had gone to bed. And so I was in my, my room and sick to my stomach and, and I was young. Um, mm. I know we were probably drinking cheap wine or that alleviated all of my insecurity. And so outside of that, I was just this meek and mild and quiet little person. And I put so much stock in other people's opinions and mm. boys. I, I was always like boy crazy and wanted that attention and being uninhibited with alcohol helped me get that. And I was just, I was seeking validation in a lot. And these are all terms you can use now as an, as a sober adult, you're seeking validation. It's like, you don't know that when you're a kid, you just think, mm-hmm. oh, if this boy likes me that then my life is complete. And if I hang out with these friends and I act cool and I smoke cigarettes and I drink beer, then, you know, I'm, I'm one of the cool kids. And so I was doing a lot to create this persona that was, that was cool and likable and um, edgy and alcohol helped me achieve all of that, I guess, because before alcohol, there was, there was some self-harm and things that I know are tied up with the mental health aspect of, of my alcohol use, um, but then yeah, alcohol helped all of that go away and helped me create this wild child that I didn't up until that point, I was a rule follower and I just went to church and I was very Christian and rule follower. And then it was like, oh, I get to be this whole other person. And people seem to like this other person. And that followed through all through adulthood. And in college, it got really out of control. And in college is when I started blacking out. And I didn't know, I guess, what was normal and what wasn't. I thought college is the time you party and oh, people would talk about, oh, the crazy thing you said, or you know, recount events that had happened and it seemed like that was fairly normal, but when I look back now, it was happening a lot. I was putting myself in a lot of dangerous situations, and thankfully, nothing major ever happened. I look back now and think, oh, that, that girl could have been in a lot of trouble, and it was bad enough just not remembering things, and, and now, too, knowing the contribution that alcohol has to depression and anxiety and those things that they just created this very dysfunctional relationship in, in my brain, I guess you could say. And when I started my career after college, I that helped divert my attention for a little bit. It was Then it was about um, seeking validation at work and making a good impression on my bosses and getting promoted. And I got married in my 20s and then it was, okay, I'm a wife and I'm this career woman and everything looks great on the outside. And I just still wasn't happy, started relying on alcohol again a lot during that time, got divorced in my mid 30 or early 30s, I guess, and just everything sort of spiraled from there. I was, had a couple of really toxic relationships, very centered on alcohol, both of the back to back, just um, spending most of our time at the bars, my work was suffering. So here was this idea of, oh, I want to be this model employee and I'm showing up to work late and hung over half the time. And I, I just was leading this double life that I was so exhausting. And finally, so I was 35, it's in a relationship and it was going south very fast. And I started to get really sober curious about tried moderation management. Um, and this was, so I'm 
46 now. <laughs> I have to think about that for a minute. So 46 now. So this was 10 years ago and there just weren't the same resources that there are today, which I'm grateful for, for people looking at sobriety today. But at the time it's, well, there's moderation management. Okay. They recommend you stop drinking for 30 days. I made it, I think three. And so I never could get a foot into that program. I actually went to Al-Anon, an Al-Anon meeting because I thought, well, if I can fix my boyfriend, I can maybe fix myself or, you know, he's the problem and nothing was working. And finally I up and moved to Arizona from Texas. I, I had been looking for another job anyway. And so my, a new job took me to Arizona and I thought things would change there. Had this opportunity to create this new impression at a new office and quickly found the closest dive bar to my house and spent all this time at the bar. And once again, the cycle of late nights, trying to cruise into work, you know, not smelling like an ashtray and not smelling, because I certainly didn't leave enough time for showers, things like that. It was like, okay, just, it was exhausting. And Around that time, I met um, the man I'm married to now, and um, so we've been together almost eight years, and we met at that bar, and we had sort of the same start around these crazy alcohol-fueled arguments and breaking up and making up, and but I still was back to this idea of I alcohol is not serving me. I was about to be 40 knew something needed to change. At that point, I still wasn't keen on any particular program because in my mind, 12-step was for, or or even I had a friend who went to rehab. So it's like, all of those things are extreme measures. I'm just not sure that my alcohol use is that level. Meanwhile, I'm blacking out like every other night, but I'm still trying to tell myself that that I could moderate or that that there could be something I could do differently to change my alcohol use that would make it more normal. So I'm just trying to get a a gauge of what the drinking was like for you. So it was kind of like every couple of nights really going hard, like completely blacking out. Yes. So I would say for years, I had this cycle of binge drinking, not drinking the next night because I was nursing a hangover Mm. and I would get physically ill. My stomach would be all out of sorts. I just was queasy. I barely had an appetite. So I had to nurse that hangover, feel better the second day and drink again. Yeah. And I tried to let those physical ailments deter me from drinking, but by the second or third day, I I couldn't make it more than a couple of days. Why do you think you drank? Like at that stage, what were you drinking for? What was it doing for you? It was a little of everything. So when I look back, we celebrated with booze. We, I, a lot of times it was, oh, my day was so stressful. And so how do I cope with stress? It's okay. Wine on the back patio. And there was this element, I think of it felt relaxing. And that was kind of a ritual that um, my husband and I created of sitting on the back patio and, and wine. And it felt maybe not sophisticated maybe is the right word but just it was beautiful weather in Arizona and so it was like this nice ritual Mm. but when the ritual goes from picking up one bottle of wine that you're sharing to three because you know you're going to run out at some point there was something not normal about that and that was what we found too is not only would we drink that frequently every other night every two nights 
the amounts were becoming more and more. More and more, yeah. Yeah, so you're drinking really essentially, I guess, for a reward, to reward yourself. How are you feeling next day when you'd woken up after one of those nights? Yeah, terrible. I think the shame around the blackouts was very intense. So having to ask Ryan what what I said or what happened and, and just waking up and, and realizing there were such big gaps. And I remember one time counting up saying, okay, well, if I average two or three hours a night blacked out that I don't remember, and I'm drinking how many, you know, blacking out several times a week, like I got it up. It was something like three months. It would have added up to being in a coma for three months. And I was, it took years longer to finally get sober, but that I couldn't make that into a big deterrent at the time, but I, it was, it was shocking to me and it made me want to stop drinking, but um, it would take me a long time to get there, but Yeah. yeah, it was, and I would function. So it wasn't as if I were passed out, I would function and people would think I was fine and drunk, but not not incoherent or incapacitated. And that was what was scary too, is all these things that Mm. people would tell me or these conversations that we would have. I don't remember any of it. It's it's just terrifying, isn't it? It's like that pit of your stomach thing where you're just like, oh, fuck. And you just can't remember. And it's just terrible. So you're waking up the next day, you're feeling shame. How else were you feeling about yourself? Well, part of it too, it was there were physical aspects, so burning in my stomach, um, trying to eat. Uh, there were some binges that were so intense that I couldn't keep anything down. Um, mm. So the the physical aspects were miserable, and it kind of de- depended on. I would switch the the types of drinks I was having or the frequency to try to manage some of those symptoms. But for the most part, my, my stomach was protesting in a big way. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Were you waking up with anxiety and that as well? Well, so interestingly, the anxiety didn't seem to creep up on the hangover mornings. That really became the challenge when I tried to stop drinking. So I almost, and even in the, even when I would take a break for a couple of days, that's what I would find. It was almost a delayed reaction Mm -hmm. of the anxiety. So I woke up the next day feeling miserable and, and tired and full of shame around, I can't believe I, because a lot of times I would try to control it or cut myself off at a certain time or a certain number of drinks. So then it's, I was beating myself up black and blue over the next morning. Yeah. And then it would be the sort of the second wave of that was the anxiety that came with, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't drink for a couple of days. I shouldn't drink until this weekend. I almost had more anxiety around trying to control the drinking mm-hmm. than I did the next morning specifically, just um, that was usually shame and depression, but yeah, it's it's interesting what this reward brings. And this is one thing I really want to try and stress to people. If you're drinking for a reward or to relieve stress or whatever it is, and then you're waking up the next morning and you're feeling like, to me, waking up, vomiting, you know, feeling full of shame, anxiety coming on the next day afterwards, you know, to me, that's there's no reward in that. There's no reward. And so if you can start to look at what it's actually doing, you know, okay, I do it for this reason, fair enough, but what is it actually giving me the next day? And it's 
pretty much everyone, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'd say we'd all say, no, there's no reward in feeling like that. Completely. And and I I would say, people say, oh, well, you know, I want to have fun. It's like, well, I couldn't even remember the fun I was having. So yeah. what did it matter to me? Because sure, if I was drinking to have fun at a party, well, I wasn't going to remember the fun the next day regardless. So, And also, okay, let's play it forward again. If it was fun. And if you're waking up, particularly after a blackout and you're waking up full of shame, guilt, anxiety, feeling sick, da, 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 there's no fun in that either. So that's always, no matter why you're drinking, if you're, if you're a problem drinker, obviously not if you're having one or two and going to bed, but if you're a problem drinker and you're waking up with all that shame and, you know, there's something's going on, you know, there's a problem. Tell me then, so you, you reached out to the 12 step program. So yes, we actually moved back to Texas, um, in 2016, it's about five years ago. Um, I wanted to be closer to family and, and my grandmother who I write about in the book, uh, my book passed away. And so I just wanted to be back home. So after a couple of years of being back here and absolutely nothing changing, thinking that it would and saying, well, I want to live this beautiful life like my grandmother had. And, and I need to, I, I really want to live her legacy and another two years going by and realizing that I. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Couldn't... Um it was just getting worse and, and almost mm-hmm. nightly. And so, yes, I finally continued to try a couple of other things and we ended up moving um, into a neighborhood where a neighbor was in 12 step and I never knew she would come over and have fun. And I never knew she had sparkling water in her can or that it, I just always assumed it was beer because I was sloshed. So I just thought, mm-hmm. and, and she, and she laughed and smiled and Anytime I'd have be particularly upset over maybe a blackout or something happening, she would say, you know, I I go to meetings on open meetings on Friday nights, if you ever want to go. And finally, I was like, I've tried other things. This is my last ditch effort. I know something has to change. And so, yeah, I went and it was amazing for me because there were a lot of women in that particular group who were my age in their forties, newly sober, came up to me, got my phone number, checked on me over the next few days. That community, that sense of support was like nothing I had ever had. I had tried to do it on my own for so long and, and white knuckled mm. for so many times. And so I didn't realize, I don't know if I was stubborn up to that point, probably in some ways, um, 
but just I had this idea that it was for the most extreme of alcoholics that were yeah. sitting in those rooms. And so yeah. to, to speak to other women who were very much in my situation, who I, my story resonated or their story resonated with me was amazing. And hmm. I think too, having the help of a sponsor, just like, you know, get a coach or a sponsor that, that accountability and also that point of view, that very objective point of view was helpful. I was working with someone who I'm very much a people pleaser and I've had to work on that through sobriety and setting boundaries. And so she was a very direct woman and you know, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> and so <laughs> I would get a lot of really good feedback from her and, and really good advice that, that was very much the opposite of where I had been my whole life. And so it was out of my comfort zone to set boundaries, but it was so helpful and mm. learning to, to stand on my own two feet. And so I think all of those things combined um, were what finally worked. And I think too, just the steps in themselves. Um, I didn't realize maybe I needed the structure at that time. I my people pleasing ways, but well, I want to do this is kind of like homework. And, and so I want to do a good mm. job at these. And so it benefited me to some extent when okay. I first was working through those. But yeah, I think connection is everything as well, whether it's in 12 step or if you join a challenge or, you know, however you do it, or you get sober buddies, like you do it with a group of friends, however you do it. I think that connection is essential. And that's what's the great thing about the 12 step program you have that great connection with people and it's not always, I, I never went to AA, but certainly had a lot of people on this podcast that have gone to the 12 step program and, you know, that connection that they, they had and they often found that because they always thought the same thing. Oh, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I don't need to go there. You know, I, I definitely toyed with the idea at times. I remember thinking, should I go to AA? Like when I just didn't know how to stop, um so that was interesting but yeah and it's what it, I mean it is quite an incredible program and it's free isn't it is it free it's yes free. yes so two dollar donation at your meetings and and so yeah for for two dollars a meeting or whatever you you, you could yeah. contribute is yeah I told a friend one time and he said well it's like a free therapy so it really <laughs> um, is and that connection and all that stuff like you know I charge for my challenges and <clears throat> there's cost because it's a lot of work involved, but with AA, like in the sponsors and everything they do, like it's quite amazing. So if you don't have money, maybe to go in and it can't be an excuse either. If you're wanting to change, there's that. Well, my friend Lindor, she works with me in my challenges and she's on this podcast a lot. She did the 12 step program, still doing it. When she first showed me her book, I was reading it going, this is actually really incredible stuff. Like this is everyone should do this. Like this is life-changing. If everyone did this, we'd all be so much less fucked up. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So I th- whatever way works for you, you know, you go for it. You try it and, yeah. and see. But there should definitely be no shame in, in reaching out to something like a 12-step program. Yes. And, and I think, too, now that one of the few advantages of the pandemic is we've taken so many things online and so now there's access to so many meetings. And I think one of the things I know I ran into with friends when I would talk about that was maybe they had very limited access to it in their city, or there was only one main group and they just didn't feel like that was a good fit. Now with online meetings, you could, you can 
find a, a group that works for you and that you do feel a connection to because I think that we're not as limited in that regard um, yeah. as we as we once were so yeah I mean yeah. shoot you and I are talking from the other side of the globe so yeah, it's incredible <laughs> isn't it yeah and we've I've got somebody in my challenge group who's she's in London it's great yeah yes. you would yes. tell who would know except she's probably really tired when we're doing our, <laughs> our calls <laughs> you know this is amazing it's amazing so tell us <clears throat> obviously it's this podcast is called how I quit alcohol I guess a lot of people want to know and everyone's different. So how did you deal with the initial cravings that were happening? I had to learn that nothing was too small and it might seem like really petty. Something that was driving those triggers might seem really petty, but I had to reach out. Learning not to try to hold everything in and on my own. Emotionally, that was kind of where I went. Physically, I ate a lot of peanut M&Ms. So... (laughs) I, and those were never even my go-to candy. So it was really bizarre to me that all of a sudden it was all about peanut M&Ms, but <laughs> I figured it was safer for me than alcohol. It wasn't great for my waistline. I thought for sure when I quit drinking that I was to drop all of the excess weight that I had put on while drinking. And yeah. it took a while because I had to kick the peanut M&M habit. <laughs> but... I need a 12-step program for that. Right. <laughs> so yes, finally I curbed the peanut M&M situation. Um, I did, I threw myself into exercise for a little bit, but I found it um, a little, I don't know, less rewarding, I guess. I, I just in the sense that I kind of found myself over time wanting gentler. Now, now I do yoga and I'm into gentler movement and not pushing myself so hard on everything like I had um, in my drinking days. But yeah, I think I'm the same now. I, you know, I used to love going really hard next, but I've got so many injuries now just from going so hard. I can't even cross my legs at the moment. I've done a groin something. I think at this age too, you know, like I'm, I'm 44 and you're 46, even though you look so much younger, like I thought you were in like early thirties. Anyway, uh, just being more gentle. I just want to be gentle with myself now. I think I'm just through with punishing myself, no matter what it is, you know, whether it's my self-talk, whether it's the exercise, what I eat, I just want to be kind and gentle. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) And that's, I think, the my relationship with exercise when I was drinking was you know, trying to go hard and undo undo that, but also going back to that validation. I know if I look good on the outside, it impresses people, and so it was all kind of caught up in this um, in my mental health. And so to to say goodbye to that way of thinking, along with the drinking, it was you know well, yeah I gotta I gotta show myself some grace and. Yes, yeah. it used to be how how much can I lift and how hard can I go and just said, oh, enough, because if that's going to trigger me um, into even a dysfunctional relationship with exercise or whatever that might be that um, I needed to go along with the booze. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, there's a lot of deep inquiry in this stuff. You know, the further you go along as well, you start to really look deep and go, OK, fuck. <laughs> there's so much going on here and why am I doing this and why do I behave this way why is this pattern showing up you know what can I do instead what's my body trying to tell me what's yes you know what's this feeling trying to tell me right now um it's for me it was definitely about being kinder I I, uh, I really started to explore 
that idea of people pleasing and boundaries and codependency yeah. alongside yeah. the alcohol use and various things. And so it's, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. And I always, I, I try to do it in small doses so that I'm not like, Oh, I got to fix and understand everything now. It's just, mm-hmm. okay. Yes. Can I, can I be okay with doing yoga instead of running or lifting heavy weights? Yes. Um, yeah. Can I, Uh, eat a little less sugar and not beat myself up over a piece of candy or whatever. So yeah, I like to work work my way into it. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Small doses is good. And just, yeah, like if you're going to eat some some sugar, that's fine. Eat the sugar. Don't beat yourself up. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It's all about just some compassion towards yourself. So yes. tell me, for you, Christy, how is it three and a half years down the track for you not waking up every morning with that shame, the feeling of being sick? You know, how's it been for you this side of it? It's it's so amazing, and I think recently, and maybe it's since the book has been published. It's sometimes I think I don't even recognize this life and I don't I I mean I enjoy I I just really try to be present and enjoy every moment but it's like wow sometimes I I can't I could probably make my brain hurt trying to think about you know well where did it all go wrong and I I don't try to live don't live in the past you know and and so yeah it's it's amazing that I had someone read the book and and say gosh you've done so much I said because I spent all of those hours drinking. So people look and say, gosh, you do all these things. And it's like, well, I, I would spend five hours a night drinking. I would spend probably 20 hours on the weekend because I mean, there were times where we drink 10 hours straight on a Saturday and maybe follow it up on Sunday if we were watching sports or something. So, and not to mention you had three months in a coma. and all the crazy things I did I don't remember so yeah it's um so it's I don't I just I mean I I'm in awe of it I think is the easiest or not the easiest way to say it but just the only way to say it because it definitely got better I think um you know the first year was very tough and it was a roller coaster and I had the pink cloud days and I had the low, low days. And I felt like it was very, the extremes were, um, you know, high highs and low lows and, and days when I just didn't think I could get through it. The second year, and this was pre pandemic. So I really threw myself into a lot of adventure. And so that was fun because it was like, okay, well now I want to do all the things. And so mm. I was every city I would travel to for work. I would get out and sight see and I would do interesting things and see landmarks so I filled it with a lot of adventure and so that was really fun Mm. and now here in this the last year and a half or so it's um well what do I want to do to give back what do I want to do to what really lights me up which is absolutely writing and so making time and space for all of these things that that bring me a lot of joy it's just been really rewarding. And, and I think, yeah, waking, I, I wake up, I'm usually up by 6am without an alarm. I have my morning time carved out. So I have my coffee and I usually read uh, a language of letting go devotion. I still love Melody Beatty and her work on 
codependency. And so that that's also kind of like 12 steps, like rules for living. And maybe I journal a little bit, but yeah, those, that hour or so I carve out for myself in the morning versus Mm -hmm. trying to feel myself out of bed is amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So tell me about, tell us about the book and how that came about and, and why. Sure. Um, so yeah, I kind of had started dabbling in writing again when I got sober. I, I thought I, I started writing a blog about, I started volunteering, I guess. I was doing a lot of service work, which I was hearing in 12 Step. And so it was, well, how, I wrote weekly stories about my volunteering. And so kind of was enjoying that creative aspect. But I'd always had in the back of my mind when we moved back to Texas in 2016, my grandmother had passed away. She was almost a hundred. She lived this amazing life. And so I thought, I really want to write a book about granny. And I realized as I started writing that I felt like our stories couldn't be told independently of each other, that, that yes, she was this amazing woman. And I really struggled in a lot of ways in my life, but I found my way in sobriety back to living a life that I felt like really honors her her volunteer work, her compassion. And so my, in the last two years of really getting a a foothold in sobriety, I've been writing this book. And so it's kind of unfolded with that journey too. And it was neat because as I started to research, I had a lot of things that my grandmother had written or journals or documents, but I also found a lot of that information um, from my other grandmother. So I started reading, learning more about her through her diary and some letters that my grandfather had written to her when he was um, stationed in the Coast Guard. And I started to realize I was a lot like my other grandmother. So that was interesting because she was a little bit of a rebel and and not a drinker, but just a little bit of a rebel and kind of a free spirit. And so it's like, oh, so I ended up infusing both of their stories into my sobriety journey, but talking a lot in the book about how they influenced me both directly and indirectly because they also had other big changes in their life. Kind of like when I moved off to Arizona, they had left their family farms and had to go live in the city and start over. And so it's, uh, there were a lot of parallels in our lives that I found very interesting. And so I was able to tie all of that together in a a meaningful way. And so it was, it was really cool. Sounds beautiful. Sounds absolutely beautiful. I'd love to get a copy. So if anyone wanted to get a copy of Strong Roots Wayward Soul here in Australia, what would be the best way of doing that? So it's available on Amazon and I think just the Kindle edition is available um, through the Australia platform of Amazon. But so you can get a digital copy uh, through Kindle. And it is on Kindle Unlimited um, through the end of 2021. Uh, So if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. Gorgeous. Well, let's hope when the world opens up, you can come out to Australia and do a little book tour. That would be fantastic. (laughs) That's just so amazing. Oh, Christy Hughes, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. But just before you go, if you could go back in time and sit with 15-year-old Christy, what advice would you give her? Oh, it's so hard because I think... As a teenager, my advice would be that none of, nobody else's opinion matters, <laughs> but it's so hard to believe that as a 15-year-old. My parents would say, 
we tried to tell you that, you know, and, and so um, aside from the drinking, that that would be really what's at the core of it is that what's in your heart is what matters the most and how you feel about yourself matters the most. And all of this other stuff is just bullshit. <laughs> that's beautiful. And I think that's, that's great advice that you could take into your life now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, there's a, on the show Shit's Creek, there's a scene I love, I love where she, yes. So there's a scene where uh, he's getting his driver's license and Alexis is like, nobody cares, David. And so <laughs> I love that scene. It's like, there it is right there. Synopsis of life, life. advice from Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> life advice from Alexis. I love her. I love David the most, but yeah, gorgeous. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? I'm on Instagram at the underscore brave kind. And my website is we are the brave kind.com. So you can fill out the contact form or sign up for the email list. And I'm hoping to start retreats in 2022 in Texas. So it's a long journey for your friends, but (laughs) I'm excited to see where that goes. So yeah. Beautiful. That's so gorgeous. Okay. Well, thank you. I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. So yeah, that's great. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change the how i quit alcohol playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.